0: Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode of 2022 of the CG Business Advisor brought to you by CG Tax Audit and Advisory. For all of us here at the CG Business Advisor, we hope you had a happy, a healthy and a safe new year. We know with all the COVID craziness, things can get a bit out of hand and uh, we appreciate each and every one of you listening to this podcast, we hope that you get as much out of it as we put into it. We released 24 episodes, as new episodes of the podcast release on the first and fifteenth of every month. We had some fun along the way, and we provided some great information on a variety of business related topics. We've hit some historic milestones as well in terms of listeners and downloads. Uh, With July being our all-time high in downloads this past year, October was pretty good as well. So we can't thank you enough for listening and downloading, liking, subscribing to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. I wanted to take this time as we have our New Year's episode to highlight some of our most listened to episodes. So, throughout the course of this podcast, you will hear about blockchain and cryptocurrency for business. You'll also hear about financial acumen for female professionals and some best practices for early and growth phase businesses. But first up, blockchain and crypto. It was by far the most debated topic of 2021 in terms of The NFTs and Bitcoin, Dogecoin to the moon and everything that's involved in cryptocurrency and blockchain technology, which is why it was no surprise that this was our most listened to episode. Of 2021. Anna Masker and Mel Comer from Profit Link joined the show to talk about the impact of blockchain and crypto on the business world. Profit Link provides CFO, controller, and accounting services to clients in the blockchain and crypto space. Here's a highlight from that episode
1: So, blockchain is a technology in sim- simplistic terms, it's really a shared ledger. Um, the way that it's different than a typical database is it uses blocks of data that are linked together and shared across many computers, um, that those computers share the same exact copy of the database um, instantane- almost instantaneously. And so um, where traditional databases, you know, kind of are centralized, they're stored in a central location, Um and they, they could be subject to hacking, you know, blockchains are pretty much tamper proof um, because they, the way that they're structured, if you think about uh, what a blockchain is, is literally blocks of data linked together. And those blocks are basically the equivalent of what I can think of as like bulletproof glass boxes that people put data into, hook it to the next box, hook it to the next box, And that um, record is shared across many computers. And so um, it makes it very hard for somebody to go in and change data in those glass boxes. And um, so blockchain's got a lot of different applications. Um, We hear a lot of it tied with cryptocurrency, but Mm -hmm. in the business world, there's a lot of applications for blockchain beyond just cryptocurrency. Um, You know, I think one of the greatest examples of how a blockchain can really impact business is if you take a, if you think about, um, you know, food recall, you know, a couple of years ago, there was Walmart had, you know, tainted romaine lettuce, for example. Um, and so by default what they have to do is they have to pull all the lettuce off the shelves and then go do the investigative research of like, where was the source of that, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, tainting whether it's listeria or whatever it was um in a blockchain world so so basically what they had to do is they had to go back to the shippers go back to the you know the the packers the the farmers all the way through that whole supply chain to figure out what's the source of that um tainted lettuce so in a blockchain world um every every um entity along that supply chain would be recording. Yes. I, I, you know, farmed this, this, Head of lettuce, and then the shipper would say, "Yes, I pack this head of lettuce." And then the um, uh, the packer would say, "I packed the head of lettuce." And the shipper would say, "Yes, I moved this head of lettuce from here to here, and I stored it at this temperature." And then it went to the warehouse, and then it went to the store. And so you would able be able to, with everybody logging their transactions on the blockchain. Now, if you get to the end of the end of the chain, and you have a tainted piece of a head of lettuce, for example you can track that lettuce all the way back to the source or find out the source of where, that, um, you know, where that, that issue originated from. And so therefore it's much more efficient than pulling all of the lettuce off the shelves. You know exactly which heads of lettuce or which batches or lots that need to be pulled. So blockchain has a lot of applications um, in, in the business world beyond just cryptocurrency.
0: Yeah, but well, speaking of, of cryptocurrency and, and blockchain technology, Mel, what does it mean for the future of business? Like, should businesses be impacted by crypto and by blockchain?
2: Uh, good question, Scott. And the answer is yes and yes and yes. So, as Anna talked about, blockchain, and just I want to make sure we separate the terms because they aren't interchangeable. Blockchain is the underlying technology uh, that that gives you the immutable ledger, okay? Cryptocurrency is a type of digital asset that uses the blockchain to be recorded on, okay? And then Bitcoin is a particular type of cryptocurrency of which there are many, 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 many uh, different uh, coins, we call them. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of that, uh, yes, it is already impacting businesses. As Anna talked about, uh, blockchain is uh, uh, is impacting business much behind the scenes. You don't know that uh, Walmart is using blockchain to to track their lettuce or that a, a company called True Tickets is using blockchain to to track concert tickets so that you know, when you go on stubHub and 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 go to buy that ticket to that concert now that we can go to concerts again, um, or we'll be able to. Uh, that that's a legit ticket, uh, you can be assured that it is. So so those are already in use and that's blockchain. So again, think of that as the plumbing of the system. The the part that gets the most uh, notoriety and certainly most media coverage is cryptocurrency. And what cryptocurrency is, is a digital asset that represents some type of value. Uh, And so that's where Bitcoin certainly has been the most prominent because of the wild swings in um, its value, Um, you know, and then certainly other coins that have come along are are. You know, I think little fads, you know, like Dogecoin <laughs> and things like that, or are, are, are t- tend to be more fad-like. So like with any business, I think if you are going to transact in cryptocurrency or decide to hold them, you really need to do a deeper dive to understand what it is, uh, what it is, what it means, what the risks are, uh, what the upsides are, and again, what the downsides are. So again, it is not for people who are only uh, – you know, very lightly involved. I think you really want to understand it uh, from from a a, a um, you know a a, a a risk perspective, but also what the opportunities are because there are many in in using cryptocurrency in your business.
0: You know, it's interesting, uh, and Anna, if you look at. Um... I know in the sports world, look, you've had Mark Cuban, who's been obviously a big proponent of cryptocurrency, and and he wants to accept cryptocurrency to buy Dallas Mavericks tickets. Now, the San Jose Sharks, uh, and, and it's ironic, it's in Silicon Valley, and you know of course they're ahead of the curve, but the San Jose Sharks announced that they're going to accept cryptocurrency starting next season. So should businesses be using crypto now? Yeah, that's a
1: great question. Um, you know, and I think there's certain applications for crypto. So um, businesses, I mean, we're we're seeing. I think you know, there's there's um, decentralized finance, okay, which is basically um, uh, again in simplistic terms like a Wall Street but in crypto, where they're buying, selling, trading, creating their own cryptocurrencies. So those companies are well versed in crypto. What we're seeing is adoption of cryptocurrencies for, you know, the everyday businesses, more so overseas for now. Um, we're seeing, you know, um, companies in high volatile, high inflationary countries using cryptocurrencies uh, as a means of transaction because of their um, native fiat currency is so volatile. Um, but what we're seeing, what, what we anticipate seeing here in the U.S., where adoption for everyday businesses is a little bit when I say everyday businesses it's companies kind of not in the crypto space. Um, You know, we're seeing those companies um, who are transacting overseas being impacted first because they're gonna be getting calls from their vendors or their customers and saying, hey, I wanna be paid in crypto or I wanna be, or, you know, I want you to pay me in crypto. Um, Because when you think about uh, the traditional finance world, you know, it for an ACH. It sometimes takes two or three days to have mo- money move across uh, entities. You know, we don't see the behind the scenes of what goes on in you know the the financial services. We we push a button on our you know bill pay, and it says the bill has been paid, but the client doesn't. The ACH doesn't happen for two or three days, mm-hmm. and so it's a very inefficient process right now. So where we're seeing, you, we're going to see adoption, and it's it's slowly coming here in the U.S. for for non crypto based businesses is, you know, in, hey, I wanna be paid faster. I wanna be paid in something that's not my native currency. And it is a little bit um, expensive to, you know, do wire transfers and things along those lines, not to mention the delay of three days of, with, you know, of, of um, productivity. So, um, so I think, you know, the decentralized finance is already, is already there. International companies are starting to accept it. Where we're going to see, I think, the first adoption is in that B2C market. So um, some of those, you know, crypto rails or or cryptocurrency rails are being implemented with PayPal and Visa and, and the Mark Cubans of the world who are drawing, like, the consumer's who Have invested personally in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency are saying, okay, now, now what do I do with this? And so some, some of them are using it to purchase, you know, well, they used to be able to purchase the Tesla, but not anymore, <laughs> um, but you know, or buy tickets, etc. So I think you're going to see B2C adoption first, and B2B will come a little bit later um, in, in the life cycle of businesses. That, so, and I yeah. think we're going to see overseas companies first. Um,
0: yeah. That's interesting. But are there tax implications, Mel? Like, should you have documents on record if you're purchasing or selling Bitcoin?
2: You bet. You bet. And like to take a step back, there are both tax and accounting implications for crypto transactions. And that's because it's it's the new concept, the IRS and the accounting world who makes the rules – decided that they weren't going to treat cryptocurrency as fiat currency, as like a U.S. dollar or a euro or a pound, a, a British pound. Um, they were going to treat it like property, okay? And you think a property, you think a property is a house, a car, a stock. And so with that treatment in mind, what happens is every time you transact in crypto, Uh, when you dispose of crypto, there is a gain or loss that's taxable. Think of trading stock. Okay, Mm -hmm. you buy IBM at $100, you sell IBM at $95, you have a $5 loss, you sell it for 105, you have a $5 taxable gain. So you have to, you have to track your crypto very closely, because you have to track what you bought it for. And then when you dispose of it, you have to track what you sold it for, and then you have to report to the IRS what what gain or loss you have on your on your crypto transactions. And the IRS, two years ago, put a little check box on your tax return for 2019 that said, "Have you have you traded in crypto?" Mm-hmm. Last year they had the same box on there and made it much more confusing than it needed to be. What they were trying to get at was have you disposed of crypto okay if you bought crypto we're holding crypto you didn't have any gains or losses you could i guess say no to that yeah um uh but you know if you sold any you definitely want to uh have have checked that box and reported those gains and losses on your tax return it's important to keep the records and also to understand it's like trading stock now what happens is while people why people thought that they could that they didn't have to is because the the exchanges they were trading on are not your typical brokerage firms where you get a 1099B at the end of the year that lays out what your trades are. There was no tax reporting on it. So people were like, hey, the IRS doesn't know. I don't have to report it. Mm -hmm. And so the IRS is saying, "Mm, no. And they're really very – they're having a very, um, uh, I would say – a targeted approach to crypto to make sure that crypto, people dealing in crypto are reporting it. And that's fine. There are lots of ways. There are new platforms emerging all the time that help people track their cryptocurrency transactions so that they can have the appropriate tax reporting at the end of the year. It's a complication, uh, but it's not. Uh, it's not something that should dissuade you from uh using crypto you just have to understand what your reporting requirements are
0: yeah and you know apps like Robinhood or, or coinbase or things like that they, they'll provide you with the tax documents if you are using those platforms for uh trading crypto um and are there any risks to using or incorporating cryptocurrency i mean you talk about the safeties of blockchain but are there any risks here
1: oh yeah um yeah. And I think as, as Mel mentioned before, there's a the price volatility risk, which I think is the most prevalent, sure. um, you know uh, you, we had a couple of companies approach us and say, Hey, should I invest in Bitcoin? Because, you know, the, the returns on Bitcoin, you know, a couple months ago were phenomenal. You know, they were, they were like 50%, but now you know, 50% increases um, in, in a month or two. Anyway, uh, Bitcoin was at 60 something, thousand dollars a couple months ago now it's down to 33. So price volatility is probably the biggest risk of cryptocurrency. Um, I'll talk about uh, mitigating that with different types of cryptocurrency in a second. But um, I think the other important thing is, as Mel alluded to before, is you really need to know what you're doing. Um, so because you're not using the traditional financial rails that we're all used to, right? We're using banks and we're using clearing houses behind the scenes. Um, you know, there it, it's it's um, those guardrails don't necessarily exist in crypto. So if somebody hacks into your bank account um, and they find it's the bank's fault, the bank will you know reinstate your account and, and mitigate that. If somebody hacks into your cryptocurrency Coinbase account or you know a wallet of yours, you know there is no recourse. And so you really need to understand the risks associated with getting into cryptocurrency um, in the sense of, you know, knowing how to protect yourself, knowing how to protect your assets. Um, now that's all doom and gloom, but there is definitely some upside as well. There's, there's cryptocurrency, um, you know, most people know Bitcoin or Ethereum, which are kind of like the, the two largest cryptocurrencies, but there's also cryptocurrencies that are more, I would say quote, business friendly in a sense of for everyday businesses transacting, and those are called stable coins. And stable coins don't have that price volatility because they are pegged to the U.S. dollar. They do, you know, go up a couple cents here or down a cent there. So you're kind of in the dollar range, but it takes that price volatility um, out of the picture. Um, that being said, you um, still need to protect those stable coins in your wallets and making sure that you know your passwords and that you're your, your limiting access or putting in controls to make sure that your cryptocurrency is, is safe. And that you also know what you're doing when you're doing um, trades of crypto between people. Um, because if you, if you incorrectly put in somebody's wallet address, the quote equivalent of like a bank account number, Um, you you can actually, you know, your crypto will disappear. It doesn't go into Never Never Land. Well, it does go into Never Never Land. It it just, it does not exist. And so um, you really just need to be very careful uh, when you're doing that. I think think the evolution of, you know, user interface tools are coming. Um, There's programs like Gilded uh, Finance, which is more geared towards businesses that want to pay in crypto or receive payments in crypto, and um and so they're they're helping that user interface in mitigating some of those risks but um, you definitely need to be careful when you're when you're transacting in crypto or using or accepting crypto and how you're managing it
0: loved all the information about blockchain and crypto there in that podcast if you would like to go back and listen to the entire interview just hit the cgteam.com or find the cg business advisor wherever you get your podcasts from That episode was number 22, released on July 1st of 2021. This next piece comes from our 21st episode, released on June 15th of 2021, talking about financial acumen for female professionals. Pat Schaefer joined me for this episode, a co-founder of Talent Strategy Partners. Pat works with organizations, senior executives, to build and maintain a robust leadership pipeline through succession planning and leadership development. Let's hear from Pat.
3: Well, you know, financial acumen is really the backbone of any effective corporate leader. I don't care what functional area you are in, and especially if you're in a a, a non-revenue producing area like HR, human resources, you have to get the numbers. You got to be able to speak with fluency about the financial matters, the metrics and the business results. Um, It's just fundamental to sound business decision making. Um, And and since, you know, financial performance is a lagging indicator, you really need financial acumen to understand what
0: levers to pull to
3: drive those financial results.
0: So for women in particular, why is it, Why is it extra important for them to develop financial acumen?
3: Well, you've heard the old adage. We women have to work twice as hard and be twice as smart as our male colleagues. If we're going to get ahead.
0: Unfortunately, Um, yes.
3: (laughs) So, so while many of our male colleagues in the organization are pulled up by other men at higher levels in the organization, women don't often have that kind of sponsorship. So, They have to work harder to be recognized. And they need financial acumen to be perceived as credible and competent. Um, Otherwise, they're just not taken seriously for advancement. And and ultimately, they never gain that proverbial seat at the table.
0: Mm. Do you see that changing though over the years? Like has it has it gone in a positive direction lately, in your opinion?
3: Well, I think it has, because I think women are starting to catch on. Um, The women that we've studied. And we've studied successful C-level women in across industries. And these women make it a point to understand and be able to work the numbers and be able to speak to those numbers in a way that everybody can understand. Mm. The men, the people who report to them, the people on their team. Um, they, you know, they just have a way of communicating it that is understandable and not
0: intimidating. So do you see men and women viewing how they develop financial knowledge differently?
3: Well, not so much developing it. I mean, everybody through education, through practice with crunching numbers in big spreadsheets and, 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 you know, otherwise gaining an understanding of the key financial drivers, that's all the same for everybody, but how men and women view that financial knowledge is different in general. And I'm saying in general, because from now on, if we're doing, you know, comparisons between men and women, I just want to make it clear. I'm not talking about absolutes here. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about tendencies. Um, The way women who think about, you know, there are certainly women who think about financial data the same way men do and vice versa. Um, But in general, Um, women's observational style tends to be broad, while men tend to focus pretty narrowly on what they they perceive as the relevant information to the task at hand. Um, Whereas women will look more broadly, they'll consider qualitative and subjective data because
0: they believe that numbers don't tell the whole story. That's interesting. So does financial expertise look different for men and women? A- and why do you think that is?
3: It does look different. And, and I think it's because men's and women's brains are structurally different. So we assimilate and we use knowledge differently. This doesn't mean that one's better or smarter than the other. They're just different. Um, so, so research on men's and women's brains show that the bridge between the hemispheres in the brain, so the right brain and the left brain, are thicker in women than they are in men. And that thicker connection allows for greater communication back and forth between the two hemispheres. So it allows women to do something that's called web thinking. And what that means is that again, women tend to gather more data that pertain to a topic than men do, and women connect those myriad facts and figures faster than men do. They bring together logic and intuition more readily. And in decision-making, women tend to weigh more variables, consider more options and outcomes, and see more ways to proceed. And in that way, they can avoid
0: risk. That's really interesting. Uh, So how can this be, and, and can it be a hindrance at times in the business world? Yes,
3: it absolutely can be a hindrance in the business world. Um, And and the reason is that women's observations aren't always valued in the organizations because the traditional workplace isn't necessarily structured to recognize that wide-ranging and subjective observation. A great example comes from a book that I recommend all of your listeners read. It's called The Female Vision. It's by Sally Helgeson and Julie Johnson. And they tell this story of a a man and a woman walking out of a, a sales meeting, and they call them Jim and Jill. So they walk out into the hallway, and they've just heard their regional manager outline the sales figures that he expects their team to meet in the next quarter. So Jim, who's been busy scribbling down numbers during the presentation, says, I figure it's doable if we can get client X to expand her budget by 6% while cutting our costs by 3.2 million. And Jill says, well, yeah, that sounds about right. But did you notice how Ron, who is usually so outgoing and engaged, sat in the back of the room, appearing preoccupied and depressed? Jim doesn't really respond because what he's thinking is, what in the world, where's that irrelevant comment coming from? Mm -hmm. She needs to be thinking about how we can make the numbers, not worrying about how somebody else is feeling. So that's just a great example of how men and women can think differently. Jim is completely dismissing what Jill has to say. That short changes Jill because it fails to draw on the full power of what she's noticing and what she's placing value on. Hmm. And that's undermining her effectiveness and her ability to feel authentic and to be comfortable expressing her opinions. Now it also short changes their organizations because it narrows the base of talents and ideas from which the organization is drawing. And in a global environment like the one we're in now where change is continual, companies need to be smart. They need to be nimble and innovative. And when they fail to appreciate the fullness and scope of what women have to offer, they diminish everyone's capacity to think outside the box. They're putting blinders on people
0: and that keeps people firmly in their boxes.
3: So they lose out as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, So how can a female professional stand out? What can they do to share their expertise, to communicate it in ways that actually resonate with whether it's employers or potential employers?
3: Well, one of the things that women tend to be good at is something we call conceptual thinking. So that's the ability to just take all this myriad and and varied data and make sense of it. Um, And they can use that innate ability to communicate and be heard and be understood. So they can talk clearly about the relationships and the connections that they're seeing among these seemingly unrelated pieces of information. They can draw parallels between situations at hand and those in the past. And sometimes using metaphors, especially using metaphors, they help people, other people to understand what they're saying. And they weave all this into a coherent story in a way that makes their audience feel smart with them rather than feeling intimidated by them. Because smart women, um, unfortunately, very often intimidate other people.
0: Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh,
3: So so just quickly going back to the story of Jim and Jill and how they came out of that sales meeting, she could have woven her insight into a logical, cohesive story instead of backing off. She backed off. She didn't make her case. She didn't persist. But she could have said, hey, Ron, you know, Ron's one of our, Jim, Ron's one of our best producers and he's key to our team's effort. He brought in 10% of the team sales last quarter. If I'm right about Ron and he's struggling with some issue that's going to keep him from performing like he did in the past, we're going to have trouble meeting our numbers. We need to talk to him and find out what's up. If I'm right, maybe we can help him, or at the very least, we can make a plan to hit the numbers in spite of his situation. If I'm wrong and he's just having a bad day, well, at least we know he'll know that we care about him. And we can breathe a little easier about making those numbers.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's it's a good way of looking at it. Um, Talk to me about talent strategy partners. I know you help women develop financial acumen. So what's uh, give me a little more information about talent strategy partners.
3: Sure, I'd I'd absolutely love to. Um, We we conduct a full day financial acumen workshop and it is part lecture, um, but mostly it's interactive exercises. And we created it in collaboration with a CFO. We wanted to make sure that that financial, that, that any financial acumen that we were lacking, he would bring to it. It's not finance for non-financial managers, but we do give participants financial statements for the purpose of getting them to notice things about the data, you know, use that conceptual thinking that they're good at. We have them Compare and contrast balance sheets, income statements, and cash flows for two different companies. And then we ask them questions like, which company is growing faster and how do you know that? What significant events happened for company A during the fiscal year that are represented in the spreadsheet? What big numbers in, in company B's cash flow tell you about the company's maturity level? What do you think the risk profile of company A versus company B is? So we really get them to dig into the data, not just look at the numbers, but understand the story behind the numbers. And then we spend the rest of the day, as I said, in lecture and in experiential exercises around the non-quantitative aspects of financial acumen, such as this narrow versus broad thinking about financial topics that I've been talking about and the best practices for communicating that financial information so that you are understood and appreciated.
0: Another great episode. Again, feel free to search for the CG Business Advisor wherever you get your podcasts from. That was episode number 21. Episode number 24 in August of 2021 featured best practices for early and growth phase businesses. We were joined by Anthony Torano and Christopher Raykowski of CG Tax Audit and Advisory to share tips and expert opinions on how you should start and grow your businesses.
4: Um, you know, a lot of new business owners, uh, right off the start, and, and you know businesses that are in an early phase or growth phase, they don't have a lot of money to spend on stuff that's not helping uh, develop their product or grow top line revenue. So, in many cases, they try to do things in-house and do it themselves and which is great at the start but that creates two problems one they're not experts in things like HR legal issues banking accounting marketing all that type of stuff so so they don't have the expertise that a professional might have the second issue is that when they spend I I see a lot of small businesses and growth-based businesses I see the, the the owners of those businesses spending inordinate amount of time um, you know, doing their back office accounting, you know, reviewing, con- drafting contracts, uh, d- building projections and forecasts. And they spend so much time doing that back office stuff. It's taking away from the growth of, of their product and the development of their product. And that's really what they're good at. And that's really where they should be spending their time. So, you know, while obviously costs uh, cost management is critical, I think if you have, you know, you get in front of a lawyer who can help you draft some agreements, you know, maybe, maybe a marketing firm that can help you with your social media or your website design, um, you know, a CPA to help you or, or an accounting firm or an outsourced bookkeeping firm to help just, just reconcile monthly accounts and track your monthly spend, you know, doing all those things is really helpful. And you know another one is is bankers, right? You're going to want to open up a a business bank account. You're going to want to track your spend, maybe a business credit card. So so finding the right bank for you and your business is critical. And Chris, maybe maybe you just want to go into that a little bit more. You know, just just the the banking aspect of of, uh, of new businesses.
5: Right, yeah. So any new business should open up a bank account. I think, Anthony, you would agree that many of our new clients who are starting their businesses from scratch, they are using their personal funds, they're using their checking account where all their personal expenses are paid from. And at the end of the year, that could be a real administrative burden on the tax preparer or your business advisor who eventually needs to make sense of all the stuff that's happening within uh, the business to tell to outside parties. So Uh, best practice would be open up a bank account as a new business, separate the funds from your personal side to your business. And um, it's typically pretty simple. Most banks offer free business checking accounts, and you could have the opportunity to get some interest income, albeit very, very, very low
4: interest income. Chris, you know, one other thing, I think a lot of people, and, and I've, I've seen a lot of people do this, they start a new business, they go, you know what, I got to get that business bank account. And, you know, they walk out their door and they go to the closest bank, whether it's, you know, one, a, a bigger player, you know, whether it's a Citibank or a Chase or a, a Wells Fargo. And, you know, in many cases, you know, those types of banks aren't really set up for the small business, the growth phase business, the startup business you know there there are a lot of other options out there like web based banks and and you know smaller shops that offer some some great flexibility for for startup businesses so you know do your research don't just go to the first bank you see and, and sign up and, and and open an account see, check out what your options are same thing on the credit card side there's a lot of great there's a lot of great uh credit card options out there for um you know new business owners with some great deals so 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 look around. Don't just don't just go with the first thing you see.
0: No, that's good advice. And any any other types of people you should be putting yourself in front of?
4: Yeah. You know, getting getting a lawyer or an accountant or, um, you know, outside marketing firm or or an outsourced CFO or outsourced controller can be costly up front. But, you know, what what companies need to realize is that. You know, let's say let's say you bring in an outsourced CFO and he, you know, charge he spends I don't know ten hours a month, twenty hours a month, working on your business, and it cost you five grand a month, three grand a month, whatever whatever that fee is. Maybe it's more. You know, you can't look at it as a as a cost center, as an expense, because the value and the knowledge that that guy or girl is going to bring to your company can be worth tenfold for that for that cost. And I'll give you an example. I have uh, I had a client recently who was a growth phase business. They, you know, they were trying to get by, by their pre-revenue. They don't have a lot of, a lot of cash flow. You know, they, they um, ran up some money on credit cards and took out like a small line of credit, but they don't want to run up costs. And and finally they they bit the bullet and they hired an outsourced CFO. And you know, it, it wasn't cheap, but that outsourced CFO was able to help them put together forecasts and presentations. To get in front of investors, and as a result, they were able to close a very significant term term loan, uh, you know, in excess of two million dollars that they never would have been able to do if they didn't have that outsourced CFO in there helping them out. So, so you can't just look at it from a cost perspective; you have to look at it from a cost benefit perspective and, and what can be a return on investment. So, while it could be costly upfront, the benefits could be tremendous.
0: Are there any resources that? can help you, whether it's, you know, from, uh, on a local side or from the state government, uh, you know, as far as the business organizations go, is there any help out
4: there for you as a new business owner? There are, there are, there, are, um, there's a number of organizations out there that, that are set up to help, you know, small mid-sized, growth phase businesses. I mean, there's, there's a the small business administration, you know, probably most people have heard of the SBA SBA was super active you know, especially during COVID with, uh, the, you know, the CARES Act and all the programs that they put out there, but there's grant money that's out there. There's, there's um, training and just a whole wealth of knowledge to help to help those small growth phase businesses, you know, not only, not only with COVID, but, but um, you know, just in, in day-to-day loans, you know, some, some of their loans and their grants tend to have a lot better or a lot more favorable terms and a lot more, Um, advantageous arrangements than your traditional, you know, commercial lender. There's, there's a lot, there's a number of other things as well. There's like the, uh, the NJ uh, EDA, the NJ EDA is, is an organization that that does a ton of grants and offers a lot of different programs to help those smaller businesses. I mean, their programs are constantly changing, but um, I know they had one a a little while ago where it was, if you were, if you were a, a smaller growth phase business and you entered into one of their programs they would put um, um a, an executive from a major company in your field wow. on your board of directors so you do something like that you get you get it you're, you're getting connected with an in-house expert that's doing exactly what you're doing and could pro- provide you know invaluable uh, resources you know they're, they're telling they've been through all the problems that you're gonna that you're gonna hit in your business journey And if they could save you some time and money, a program like that is is tremendous. There's also um, some other state and local resources. I know there's one out of Philly that's really good. And, and, you know, pretty much pretty much anywhere you go, there's 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 a bunch of groups and organizations out there to help startup and growth phase businesses. So don't think that you're alone. Don't think that you need to come up with all the answers. You know, you do a little digging and and you connect with the right professionals and and you could be on your way. I want to go back to something,
0: Anthony, that you said earlier about, you know, maybe getting an outside accounting firm, uh, you know, or a CPA to help you um, making sure that you have accurate data. But if you are going to do something on your own, what what kind of accounting software is out there that is good for you to use? And just talk about the benefits of having that accurate data.
4: Yeah, yeah. Look, having accurate data is key. Um, if, if you have, you know, if you have bad financial reporting and you're not tracking all your expenses and you're you know, you're know, going to try to build budgets and forecasts and projections. And, and if your historical data is not accurate, those budgets, forecasts, and projections aren't going to be accurate. Um, as soon as you get in front of an investor, they're going to rip it apart and they're going to realize that um, you, you don't know what you're talking about and you lose credibility right off the bat. Um, there's a lot of other benefits to having good data and having complete data. So, you, know, you might sit there as a startup business or a growth phase business and say, hey, you know, I'm have i I'm in a lost position. Maybe I'm pre-revenue. Maybe I'm low revenue and I'm just generating a lot of costs. Hey, you know, I, I don't care. I'm not going to have to pay any tax anyway because I'm not generating, uh, you know, net income. But the truth is there's a lot of things that can benefit you down the line um, for making sure you have all those expenses tracked up front. So there's the concept of net operating losses. You might hear the term NOLs thrown around, where you can offset future net income from historical losses. There's other things like R&D tax credits. You know, where as you're building up your business and starting your business, you're you're incurring research and development costs, and a lot a lot of those costs, um, you know, can be used to offset you know future income in the form of credits. Um, you know, so 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 making sure that you track all your expenses and track um, everything that you're doing, all your your metrics and your KPIs is super critical. And you know, depending on the size and the nature of your business, you know, you you might be able to get with get away with using like Microsoft Excel to track things early on. I know I had one client that they had a super simple business. We built a little um, Excel model where they would just every month we would just pop in their expenses into like a, an input sheet, and it would basically it would prepare uh, monthly a monthly balance sheet and PL, and uh, You know, do some formulas and some stuff. I mean, something like that works if you're really small and simple. Other systems like um, QuickBooks is is a huge one. I, I see most people use QuickBooks, especially QuickBooks Online. It's it's a very very good tool and relatively inexpensive. There's other systems out there as well. There's something. I know there's another system out there called FreshBooks. Um, there's other ones that are more industry specific, but for the most part, I think QuickBooks is, is where uh, most people tend to lean towards mm-hmm. just for its simplicity and, and user friendliness, if that's actually a word.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, let's talk about business entities. Um, we did a whole episode on it earlier on this podcast. Uh, why is it so important to choose the right entity for your business?
5: Right. That's a good question. So choosing the right entity is important on the onset of business formation because decisions you make today could make impacts to operations in the future or goals for business owners in the future. I have an example for a client that I work on where they started off as one entity type did operations through the first year of of opening the business. And now they want to do uh, something else in their business that the entity type which they originally chose is not conducive to their goals. That client ended up being in a bind because he had uh, unfortunately wanted to take on new investors. And that is a common new business issue where their goal is to take on new investors and not picking the right entity type at the onset could prevent them. And that could be detrimental to companies whose capital raising initiatives are timely, right? They need to be done in a timely manner to be able to sustain operations. And that, that that's a more severe example of entity type, but the overall message is there's multiple entity types and there is no one right answer for any one business and the way you get to the correct answer is by having those conversations with your trusted advisors to get to the best option for you and your business and your goals.
0: Talk to me a little bit about important financial ratios.
5: Right. So on the same topic of investors, I think uh, outside parties want to learn about the business and the quickest way to do that uh, and compare businesses on elite on a level playing field and compare apples to apples would be through use of financial ratios. Now, if you're comparing financial ratios of one company in software to a restaurant in New Jersey, uh, those financial ratios aren't going to do you any justice, but you want to be sure you're comparing things that are that make sense to compare. Use your best judgment. And some uh, ratios are liquidity ratios, leverage ratios, efficiency ratios, profitability ratios, and market value ratios. So uh, those are all... Uh, classifications of ratios that tell you different things about the company, and depending on who is interested in the financial information, uh, that determines the type of ratios that are most uh, most important in presenting to those parties. So,
4: I, I think, Chris, not to cut you off, but I think it's also important to make sure that you're not only familiar with the rate, those ratios, and those KPIs, you know, key performance indicators, but also understanding where investors want you to be for your industry. For example, if you are a software developer, your profit margin should be pretty high, right? You you have a relatively low cost of goods sold. If you're if you're a reseller or a distributor of refrigerators, you know, your margins are going to be much smaller. So it's it's really important um, to understand your industry, what are good uh, benchmarks of KPIs in your industry and and you know, and, and aim towards, towards those targets.
0: Anthony, tell us about a couple of things that businesses should do at the end of every month.
4: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that that businesses should do at the end of every month. Um, you know, obviously one of which is, is reconciling your bank accounts and your credit cards. And, you know, that's one good way to make sure you track your spend and, and, and track your expenses um, it's also very important in, in that process to make sure that you're consistent with your tracking of that spend. And what I mean by that is if you have a recurring credit card charge, let's say you have, uh, I don't know, you, you, you pay for your website domain or something, you got to record it the same every single month. If you're recording it differently every month in a different account or in a different um, group, you know, it, it's going to skew your financial results and it's going to be really hard to build out good forecasts and projections. Um, you know, other things that are, that are critical, you know, review your business records, make sure that any licenses or, um, uh, subscriptions or, or any, anything like that, you know, you're up to date. You don't want things to lapse. You want to make sure that any required filings that you need to do are are taken care of in a timely fashion, because all that's going to happen if you don't, is you're going to create a lot of headache and heartache for yourself when you start getting hit with fines and penalties and late fees and whatnot. Um, you know, depending on your business, if you have inventory, you want to make sure you're reconciling inventory so, so you have an accurate count of what's on hand. You know, reconciling other things like, like payroll or, or good, um, good practices. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, tax, fi- tax filing, sales tax, occupancy tax, um, you know, paying bills timely. You know, you want to make sure you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Um, especially as you start heading towards the part where you're doing capital raises and bringing on investors, because if, if you don't have your finances under control, if you don't have good data, if you can't support your, your budgets, forecasts and projections, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of trouble trying to raise money and, and bring on investors because you know, they those investors aren't just going to give you money for free. They're going to want to make sure that their investment is sound and that the business that they're getting into bed with um has things under control and knows what's going on. So the better your data is from day one, the better records you keep, the easier your life will be down the line.
0: Ah, you mean they're not gonna just give me money for free? Darn it.
4: Yeah, I know. It's it's you watch Shark Tank <laughs> and you think sometimes they just give stuff away. But if you think Shark Tank is tough, you should, you know, you should see the, the negotiations that go on with real, real life investors, you know, when they're not uh not on TV with the cameras in front of them.
0: I want to thank all of you once again for tuning in and all the help that you have given us to grow this CG Business Advisor. We wouldn't be doing this episode here, going on our really second full year, but our third calendar year of doing this podcast. We wouldn't be it. We wouldn't be doing it without you. So thank you so much for your uh, contributions and everything that you do to help spread the word about the podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts from. Head to cgteam.com for more information, not just about this podcast, but everything that CG Tax Audit and Advisory offers for you. I hope everyone enjoyed their new years and is getting ready for a profitable 2022. We'll talk to you next time right here on the CG Business Advisor.